Good morning, everyone. It's okay. All right, let's try that again. Need some energy here. It's cold and we need to create energy. Good morning, everyone. Much better. Awesome. At, uh, at youth on Friday night, a question that, that came up with some of my junior highs was, how old are you, Jesse? And so one thing I've learned to do is when people ask me that question, I put it back on them. How old do you think I am? Which was a mistake. Um, I got a variety of answers in between mid-20s, and I had one guy who said he thought that I was 45. Um, I said, how old's your dad? And he said, well, my dad's 35. And I said, do I look 10 years older than your dad? Yeah. All right. So I just want to set the record straight this morning. Uh, so that way no one else has to ask how old I am. I am turning 30 years old in just over a month. So I'm 29, almost 30. Yeah, you can, we can celebrate that. Um, and like with, with any milestone, with uh, moving into a new decade, you always spend some time sitting and reflecting on that. How do I feel about being in my 30s instead of my 20s? Or some of us who are older, how do I feel about being in my 80s instead of my 70s? And one thing I've come to realize and become convicted of is I think that 30 is a pretty great age. Yeah? So on the one hand, hear me out, I'm young enough that I'm still spry and agile that I can do a lot of stuff and not really pay for it the next day. Um, my brain is still young. I'm learning new things every day, and so life feels exciting and dynamic. But on the other hand, I'm also old enough that I feel like I'm starting to have some life experience. Uh, for example, a lot of things that I remember from my childhood are now considered to be retro. As a child of the 90s and the 2000s, I remember when video games first became mainstream. My family, when I was growing up, we didn't have video games because, first of all, my parents were skeptical of them, and secondly, we didn't have a lot of disposable income to spend on the newest technology. But I do remember the joy of going over to a friend's house and getting able, or being able to play on the Nintendo NES. Does anyone here remember the Nintendo NES? All right, yes, I'm seeing a strong correlation between people who remember the Nintendo NES and people who have kids and youth right now. Um, the NES was the first great video game system. It was the device through which the world came to know an Italian plumber by the name of Mario. It also introduced the world to this exciting game called NBA Jam. And NBA Jam allowed you to play two-on-two -two basketball with your favorite professional basketball players. Among other highlights, it included a commentator who would remark on your performance. If your player was dominating the game, he would yell, it's Reggie Miller's world, and we're just living in it. Or, it's Hakeem Olajuwon's world, and we're just living in it. Throughout our study of 1 Corinthians, I've noticed a common theme. This is God's world, and we're just living in it. No matter the issues or the disagreements that we have with each other, this is God's world, and we're just living in it. 1 Corinthians 10.31, which Carl actually referenced in the very first sermon of this series, says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. This is God's world, and we're just living in it. As Paul writes to a dysfunctional, sinful, feuding church, he gives them this guiding principle. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. This loaded, compact verse was a dynamite, a moving challenge for the church in Corinth. 
And it's a crucial message for us at Fort Gary MB today as well. Think about it. It's short and concise. It makes a really nice mission statement or a really good bumper sticker to put on your car. But the problem is that it's really easy for us to agree with the wisdom of this, right? Of course, we should do everything for the glory of God. Applying it to our lives is a lot more difficult. Part of the reason that the Corinthians had so much difficulty applying this principle to their lives is that they were prone to fall into idolatry. According to Lloyd Ogilvy, who wrote a commentary that I referenced for this sermon, idolatry is worshiping idols, and an idol is anything that takes a place that God should have in our affections. As people, we're designed to worship God, and through worshiping God with all of our being, we begin to look like God, and our lives begin to reflect what we worship. But when we worship idols, we put something else in God's place in our lives. We fail in our one purpose as people. We stop looking more and more like God and more and more like the things that we're worshiping instead. Human beings fall into this so easily. C.S. Lewis says in his book Mere Christianity that nearly all of what we call human history, money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empires, slavery, are all the long, terrible story of people trying to find something other than God that will make them happy. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul warns the audience about them by telling them that they need to be disciplined in their faith because idolatry is so easy to fall into. Our past accomplishments and our current practices do not guarantee our future faithfulness to God. The people of Israel had a great track record with God. When they left Egypt and set out for the promised land, they were heavily invested in following God. Paul tells us that the Israelites followed God through a desert guided by a cloud. That takes faith. He says that they passed through the Red Sea. That also takes faith. They were fed and nourished by God in the desert. They drank water from a rock that God had provided. How's that for a profound God moment? But even though all of them were witnesses to God working, and all of them participated in the same religious activities that gave God glory, most of them died in the desert because they weren't faithful. We might ask ourselves, how were they not faithful? They were with God all along. They did the things as a community that they were supposed to do. They received from God. How were they not faithful? The answer that Paul gives is that even though they did all the things they were supposed to, even though they participated in all the religious activities, their hearts grew cold. They loved something else more than God. They worshipped these idols instead of God. As part of the Israelite story, if we read through the Old Testament, we can hear about a golden calf that many of them worshipped so that they could have a visible representation of God. Some of them, in 1 Corinthians we read, loved their sexual desires more than God and prioritized satisfying these instead of seeking God. Some of them loved their craftiness and their intellect more than God and prioritized um, and tried to test him to see how far that they could go. Some of them loved their comfort so much that they grumbled about everything that God gave them and refused to see the blessings that God had given them. At the root of all these behaviors is idolatry, giving something else, whether that's sex or power or comfort, the worship that God rightfully deserves. Idolatry. This was the warning for the Corinthian church as well. Even though they all participated in communion and shared life together, they were not immune to the temptations of idol worship. For them, 
This temptation was visible every day. People literally had physical idols that they would offer sacrifices to or they would physically worship. The Corinthians were called out of this culture because it is impossible to fully serve God when you're still worshiping something else. Idolatry would be their undoing if they weren't careful and diligent. Idols sound kind of dangerous, don't they? It's a good thing that we don't face idolatry anymore, right? I mean, nobody has idols in 21st century Canada, right? Wrong. The warning for the Corinthians is the same warning for us today. Idolatry will be our undoing. It doesn't matter if we were baptized into this church or if we were, attendant, or if we were in attendance on that Sunday when God's Spirit worked in a miraculous way. It doesn't even matter if we're actively serving in the church. Our hearts can grow cold and we can easily find ourselves serving something other than God. The temptations that we face today are not different than those that the Corinthians or the Israelites faced. Richard Foster, who's a thinker and a theologian, says that the three greatest temptations that people face, the three things most likely to become idols in our lives, are money, sex, and power. No other issues touch us more profoundly or more universally. No themes are more inseparably intertwined. No topics cause more controversy. No human realities have more potential to bless or to curse. No three things have been sought after or are more in need of a Christian response than money, sex, and power. These were the things that the Israelites were tempted to worship instead of God. These were the things that the Corinthians were tempted to worship instead of God. And these are the things that we are tempted to serve instead of God today. The thing about all three of these things is that they're based in genuine God-given desires. However, they all end up with the desire taking the place of the Creator who made them. As human beings, all of us have a desire inside of us to be secure and safe. Is that just me or is that all of us? We want to be secure and safe, right? And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. If we read throughout the Bible, the Bible talks about people finding safety and security in God. The problem, though, is that money can so easily replace our need for God. Money has been a way for us to measure our security and our safety. If I have more money, then I'm less likely to be in need or in danger. Recently, I've been reading way too many news articles that talk about an impending economic recession. If you've been uh, in the grocery store recently, you know that inflation is out of control and something has to give. When the economy breaks, which who knows, that might be next week, it might be in six months, something is going to have to give. Jobs are going to be scarce, people are going to lose their houses, and money will be hard to come by. And I don't know about you, but that's a little frightening for me. Kelsey and I are expecting a child in the middle of February. My current job only lasts until the middle of March. I can't control what the economy will look like then. If only I had more money, then I would be able to guarantee my security. And that's the mindset that so many of us operate with. In affluent circles like here at Fort Gary, we just throw more money in the bank or we take up another side hustle or we buy another investment property because increasing our assets will make us more secure. And in the process, our lives reflect more and more of our desire for money and less of our creator. This is uncomfortable for me to talk about because I know that we are a wealthy congregation 
And for the most part, I know that we're also a very generous congregation. But I think we need to ask ourselves, is money an idol in our lives? Do we think about money, spend more time pursuing money, live our lives for money more than we think about God, pursue God, or spend our time living our lives for God? As human beings, we also have a desire for connection with one another and with God. And this is a natural and a good desire. People were not meant to live alone. People weren't designed to be isolated. We thrive when we're connected with other people. And sex is one way that God has created us to be connected with another person. We believe that within a marriage relationship, sex is a really good thing, which allows intimacy and connection like no other relationship can offer. But we also live in a world that is saturated and obsessed with sex and sexuality. Our world worships sex. The ability to express ourselves and pursue whatever sexual desire we want is worshipped and viewed as having the utmost importance. As the church, we've done a really poor job of presenting healthy sexuality to the world because either we too worship sex or we carry shame and baggage that causes us not to engage with the topic. And all the while, our world and our churches worship a God-given thing instead of the Creator who designed it. Briefly, too, uh, humans want to be known and appreciated. This is good, and this comes from God. We as people are made in the image of God, and our uniqueness is a gift to others. But it's also really easy to make an idol out of ourselves and to try to use power in unjust ways to assert ourselves over others. This past week, I've been asked by so many people, what did you think about the U.S. midterm elections? And my answer is, I'm apathetic and disillusioned, so I don't care. But every political race is people trying to assert their power onto other people. We worship and pursue power because we want to be God. Money, sex, and power are all things that come from our God-given desires, but can easily be made into things that we worship instead of God. And there's other things that can become idols in our lives, too. Throughout this series, we've had this really nice backdrop, right? Uh, it's full of all sorts of items that might define our lives. But each of these things can be used either to glorify God or to be worshipped instead of Him. And I just want to take a stroll back here. I promised Andre I wouldn't break anything because the last time I was up here I broke something. But take something like sports. Sports can be a really good thing that we can use to connect with others. It can be an outlet for our energy. And it can also take over our lives and become something that we center our lives around. How about work? Work is something that is good. I believe fully that as people we're made to work and we get satisfaction out of work and through working we contribute to what God is doing on earth. But for how many of us is work our God? We live to serve our work. There's so many things that can become idols in our lives. So how do we resist idols so that we can practice Paul's idea of doing everything for God's glory. I just have three very brief ideas, and I have a story. First, we have to be humble. Paul tells the Corinthian church that if you think you are standing, watch out so that you don't fall. None of us are immune to idol worship. Our past performance and our current practices don't guarantee our future faithfulness. So we approach this topic with humility. We look at the things that take up our lives and routinely ask, is this thing being used to glorify God or is it, being or is it using me to glorify itself? Self-awareness is huge. 
Secondly, we resist idols by being self-giving. All throughout 1 Corinthians, Paul stresses to his audience that we should use our freedom to build others up instead of just pursuing our own happiness. Idolatry is rooted in ourselves and our desire to be happy outside of God. This was the root of the Israelites' idolatry. This was the root of the Corinthians' idolatry. And this is the root of idolatry in our world today. Self-giving, seeking to serve others instead of ourselves, helps us move away from worshiping ourselves and our desires, and instead makes us ask how God might want us to serve other people. Self-giving is huge. Thirdly, and finally, we look at the examples of those who are doing it better than us. Paul tells the Corinthians at the end of this passage to be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. Paul doesn't share this to set himself up as a holier, more put-together person than his audience Rather, he recognizes that there's a lot of wisdom in learning from those who have gone through this before us. If we're wrestling with the temptation to serve money instead of God, we can learn by talking to someone else who's had to wrestle with that problem in their life. If we're trying to figure out how do we use our jobs to glorify God instead of worshiping our careers, we can learn from others who have wrestled with that question. We don't have to go it alone. We can grow by imitating those who are imitating Christ better than us. So in closing, we've talked about Paul's idea for us that we should glorify God with everything that we do, right? And it's really easy to think about, really difficult to do because there's idolatry. There's things that get in the way of us and God. And we work at those by being humble, by giving of ourselves, and by asking other people for help. But what does this look like in real life? How does this actually play out? Because this is a really abstract concept, and I don't know that I can give you five principles to live a God-glorifying life that you'll remember tomorrow. So how about a story? This is a family humble brag, um, but my wife's cousin is a professional soccer player in the States. For those of you who care about sports, he plays for St. Louis City as a central defender, and that's part of the MLS, which is the highest level of professional soccer in the States. That's a pretty big deal. Um, he's also a local boy. He was born and raised in the big town of LaSalle, Manitoba, just down the road. But part of his story is that when he was growing up, he discovered two things. The first thing was that faith mattered to him, and he wanted it to be a part of his life. And the second thing was that he was really good at soccer, and he liked soccer a lot. And so he played soccer all throughout his childhood, went to church and learned about Jesus. And when he was Coming out of high school, he got an offer to play soccer at a very high college in the States. And he said, I had this all figured out. I'm going to go to school for three years. I'm going to get drafted into professional soccer. And I'm going to have this huge platform that I can use to tell other people about Jesus. And this is going to be great. Isn't that the story of so many of our lives where we say, I have everything figured out. This is what I want to do. And I'm going to fit God in here as well. Well, things didn't go quite the way that he wanted them to go. Right before his first year, he tore his MCL in his knee, and he spent the entire season being two weeks away from returning. He got healthy, and right before his second year, he tore his PCL in his other knee and missed his entire year. Two seasons shot. And then COVID happened, another season shot, and instead of spending three years in college, he spent seven years in college. And finally... He reached his dream when he was 24, going on 25. But as he looks back, he sees that this experience 
actually made him into the person who he was today and helped him glorify God more with his life. Because he was there for seven years, he got invested in a church where he was able to learn and grow and spend time um, hearing from those who were older than him. Because he was around that long, he became a leader of his team, and he was able to start a Bible study with his teammates, and he was able to lead his teammates to Christ, and he was able to get a platform where he could share about his faith, which continues with him today. As we glorify God with our lives, instead of trying to fit God into what we're doing, let's try to fit what we're doing into what God wants to do, and God will do the rest. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. This is God's world, and we're just living in it. Let's pray. God, I pray for us as a church this morning as we look at our lives and we say, uh, what areas of our lives might we have idols in? What do we need to break? What do we need to change? Where do we need more of you and less of ourselves? I just ask that that you would give us humility as people. I ask that you would give us a, a desire to be giving of ourselves and that we would look to each other as we work through this God. Everything that we do, we want to do for your glory. So we just ask that you reveal things to us. And we ask that you continue to work through us in all that you're doing in your mission to reconcile the whole world back to yourself. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Fort Gary MB Church. We hope that what you heard challenged you to think in new ways about Jesus Christ and the life that we are called to through his death and resurrection. If you have any questions about who we are as a church, our mission, or have any other questions in general, please do not hesitate to contact our office email at info at fgmb.ca. Be blessed.